Father, as we finish the teaching on the Apostles' Creed tonight, we ask for the help and grace of the Holy Spirit. We are in a momentous time in our nation. We have so many things that have our attention, this virus and election, um, just, just life all around us. And we pray that you would teach us to continue to hold fast to you, to keep our eyes on you and our thoughts meditating, uh, our meditation being centered directly on your word. Help us to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Help us to learn to be able to give reason for the hope that is within us. Help us to cling strongly to the faith that has been definitively delivered once and for all to the saints. Help us to not be blown about by every wind of doctrine and cunning craftiness of men, as the scripture says, but let us be rock solid for you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. Now, we are on the final section of the Apostles' Creed. It's the part of your notes there. Uh, it's in italics, the last uh, couple of lines in the benediction. But let's read the Apostles' Creed. I mean, we don't need to read it together. You're welcome to join me. But um, um, somebody said they want to do this like we do the Lord's Prayer. Well, um, that would be great. We just, we just may need to figure out when and how, but we'll, we can do that. Churches have done that for hundreds of years. But it says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, he descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and now for tonight's lesson, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Let's begin. We, we want to divide this up into a, a couple of sections. Um, what, we, what we need to cover tonight is not easily outlined because it, it covers so much. But we've got two sections. We want to talk about comprehending heaven and, uh, and contemplating uh, hell and then the second section, uh, if I can find it here, my notes are a little different than yours, um, it, getting a grip on death and resurrection. So it's not that we're talking about new concepts, but we want to talk about um, concepts and get a little better grip maybe on them than we might have had in the past. Um, when we talk about comprehending heaven and contemplating hell, um, I, I need to make a blanket statement right away. Whatever heaven is, and I don't mean that like, well, you don't know what heaven is. You know, no, we, we know a lot about heaven. But whatever heaven is, we only have a glimpse. And it's far, far unimaginably better than anything we can comprehend. But I also need to say this. 
whatever hell may be, it's far, far, far worse than our contemplative thoughts might be about it. So I want you to understand that whenever we talk about heaven, whenever we talk about hell, we have been given enough to have a knowledge about those things, but we are only scratching the surface. We're only scratching the surface. Um, even what we experience now in the Christian faith is only understood because God shows us. We can't even envision the Christian life. Uh, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered the heart into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But they have been revealed to us by a spirit. I, I don't think that passage is talking about heaven, although that's true of heaven. It's talking about the Christian life. So when we begin to talk about heaven and hell, if we get serious about heaven and hell, both of them will blow our minds. And both of them will probably generate more questions than they do answers. Um, uh, let me give you some foundational statements. Our view or our study of the last things, including resurrection and eternal life, is called eschatology. It comes from two words, logos or logi, which means a study or a word about an eschaton, which is the, the last things. Now, what we tend to do as Christians is either fear death as the destroyer of this life or we hate death as the wrecker of all life. And there's a big difference. Let me tell you what I mean by that. We have a tendency to, to be afraid of death because we don't understand it. And we view, you know, when someone dies, it's always a tragedy to us. And, and, I, and I understand that. Please don't misunderstand me. We ought to grieve and death is, is a time of loss. It is something that rightly ought to be grieved. But what I have seen in years of pastoral ministry is that few people have learned to celebrate heaven. We view heaven as a consolation prize for not whipping our sickness. And we need to understand, um, and the older I get, the more I have on that side, um, we need to understand that heaven is not a consolation prize. Um, we need to understand that heaven is the ultimate, well, the heaven, heaven with the resurrection is the ultimate promise of God and the ultimate restoration of all that was lost at, at Eden. Now, death is an enemy. Death is to be hated. Death is to be grieved. But um, we should not live in fear of death. I remember a relative of mine, and I, I, I saw her, um, I, I'd go visit her, and I saw her week after week after week that turned into month after month, that turned into years. Here was a woman that loved God and served Him so fervently, but she was, she was so fearful of death. She wasn't afraid of going to hell. She was afraid of the unknown. She was so fearful of death. And I know this touches the heart of some of you that have recently lost loved ones. If I say something wrong, please forgive me for insensitivity. That's, I, that's not my intent. But after seeing her, uh, I, I said, Lord, I don't know how to help her. I said, I don't want to go and make her think that I want her to die. But she has, she has been bedridden for 
at that point, seven or eight years, has not been out of bed in seven or eight years, cared for with extravagant love. Um, but I, I, I just began, I said, Lord, help me understand how do I help her? Because she was in another town. I only saw her, I don't know, five or six times a year maybe. Um, help me to know how to help her. And, and God gave me a vision of angels coming for her. And um, it was the, one of the most glorious things I've ever seen. I, I tell you, I hope my homecoming can be that glorious. And she would go right up to the presence of God, but fear would just cause her bed to crash back down. Did I lose power? There we go. Okay. Would cause her bed to just crash back down and she would begin to weep. She was so disoriented and so disheartened. I got right into his presence and then I, I lost it. And the Lord began to speak to me. He said, that's how she sees death. She fears death. And he says, there are times I've come to her to connect her with the world that is to come. I don't understand what that means. I don't understand. Corey will answer that in, uh, in his series. But he said, every time I come to connect her, she's afraid of dying. And um, he gave me some things to say. And um, I, I, she couldn't communicate well, so I don't know if it helped. But I said, this is, this is how we view death and this is how we view going to heaven. And um, I said, heaven, well, it was, uh, it was my grandmother. I mean, it, it, I, I'm not afraid to tell you that. But I said, grandmother, I love you. I, I said, I don't know of anybody that's walked with God more than you have. But this thing has you bound. And I said, you need to know that heaven, heaven is not as, that's where I got that phrase. Heaven's not a consolation prize. And I'm not saying it's time for you to go, but I know this fear is not of God. And, and it wasn't long after that she did go into the presence of the Lord. I don't know if the two things were connected or not. I think of another relative of, of mine. Uh, this one I won't identify. But um, uh, she lived in Georgia, and every chance I could, I'd go pray with her. And it got to the point where she was in a... Uh, almost, almost a vegetative state in the hospital, and it went on and on. And um, the Lord spoke to me that she was afraid of dying. You know, sometimes you can have a whole generation or a whole culture afraid of dying. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't want to die. I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to hurt. I mean, I'm, I'm afraid of hurting, not afraid of dying. Um, um, and, and, Death can, can take so many forms. Uh, like I told you about my dad telling the nurses to please get out of the room. He said, I'm trying to die and you're bothering me. You keep interrupting me. And that's what's exactly what went on. He, he, he went to meet the Lord that morning. But um, I, I drove to Georgia and I, and I sat down by her bed and I asked uh, one of her, her children, I said, how's... How's she doing? He said, it's been like this. And he said, it's like she's terrified. And um, I took her hand and I said, death is our enemy, but it's coming to all of us. It's appointed unto man once to die. I said, now, if she could communicate by squeezing a hand. I said, now, if you, if you feel like God wants to heal you and 
you don't feel your life is over, you squeeze my hand and I'll, uh, um, uh, no, I said, if, if, you be, if, if you believe that your life is over, um, squeeze my hand one time. If you feel that you want to be prayed for for healing, squeeze my hand twice. I'll go any way you want to go. But either way we go, we're not going to operate in fear. And I talked to her and that it, there was more to the conversation than that and more response than that from her. But she said, I, I want to, she, was, she indicated, I want to go home. And I said, are you afraid? And she squeezed in the affirmative, I'm afraid. And I said, I'm going to pray that God will take the fear away from you. And um, I did that. The Holy Spirit came down and her son later told me, uh, uh, and she went to heaven within hours. Her son said, the whole room changed. He said, somebody that she trusted needed to tell her that it was all right to go to heaven. And he said, the, from the time you prayed and left, there was a peace, there was a calm. Her breathing changed, her pulse changed. He said, I thought God might be healing her. But he said, I realized that she began to understand that death was an enemy and it's the last enemy to be conquered. But we don't live in fear of death. We don't live in fear of death. And, and I know that's, that's raw for some of you. I don't mean for it to be. But um, what we need to do is not fear death as the destroyer of this life. Uh, guys, I think we, we, we'll, we'll eventually get to the point where we realize the best stuff's not here. Yeah. It's not here. And, and we, we, we don't need to be so eager to cling to this life. Now, I know the devil wants to take our life early. I know we don't want to leave loved ones. I, I know all of those things. I know all of those things. Um, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't want to distance ourselves from those realities. I don't want to minimize those realities. But I do want us to not let our fear of death make us cherish this life more than the next. And we need to learn to hate death as the wrecker of all life. Death, we're going to die as a result of sin. And, and so death comes as a result of our sin. And the day is coming when Christ will destroy that death. Um, it's the last enemy to be destroyed. But uh, I, I, want us, I want us to put death in perspective. You say, boy, you just sound like an old, old guy. Well, I, I, I don't think I'm an old, old guy, but I will tell you this. Every year I get older, I, my perspective changes. Um, now, um, I want you to know that whether we're considering heaven or hell, like I said, the reality is more than the description. The reality is more than a description. Have you ever wondered why when Jesus talked about heaven and hell, he used earthly descriptive, it's like this. It's not because he didn't have a grip on it. It's because, in my opinion, we couldn't grasp the reality. Paul said on one occasion, he went into the very presence of God. He said, I saw things that I am not permitted to share. I saw things um, that it's not lawful for me to utter. And some theologians think, depending on how you translate the grammatical structure, it, it was, some feel that it was not that it was against the law for Paul to say it, but, but Paul was saying it's beyond my ability to even put into words. Um, 
I do need to say one thing that I think all of us need to get in the foundation. This is, this is Christian Theology 101. There is one reason that we go to heaven. One reason only. And it's not good works. Uh, good works are important, but good works are, are what form our reward. But good works don't take us to heaven. The Bible makes it clear it's by grace, it's the offer of God through faith, the receiving of the, of the offer. And loved ones, every man, woman, boy and girl that goes to heaven, you know, except those little ones that go in a state of innocence, you know, you know, babies and such. Um, um, every man, uh, woman and child of, a, of a, a accountable age that go to heaven, go to heaven because God is satisfied that they have accepted Jesus. And I want to tell you this, th there is only one reason for people going to hell. Um, and that is because of rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Corey, you can deal with this next week. Um, you, you've got the issues of, you know, what about those that have never heard or those that have never completely heard a presentation of the gospel? I'm with Abraham. The God of all the earth will do right. I don't know how God is going to sort that out but he will be just. Some Christians believe there's a, a place of intermediate existence, you know, purgatory or some form of purgatory um, where, where we go. If we haven't really lived a clean life, we go there to clean up. The problem with that view is that that is salvation by works. And if the blood of Jesus is not enough to cleanse us, time in an intermediate state is not going to make us any cleaner. We don't need a purgatory. We need the blood of Jesus. So we go to heaven because we accept Him. If we go to hell, perish the thought, it will be because we reject Him. So we need to remove works from the idea of, I went to heaven because I did this, or I went to hell because I did that. No, works will determine the degree of reward in heaven and the degree of punishment in hell. But we don't go to either place because of works. Um, we can easily misunderstand heaven and misunderstand hell. Heaven, the best we know, is service, reigning, restoration, and fullness, all in the context of the presence of God. Heaven, if I had to give a one-phrase description, heaven is the presence of God. And all that is contained in the presence of God. We are only beginning, we just touch it every now and then. We just touch it every now and then. But there is a presence that is beyond description. And hell is essentially a lack of the presence of God. That's what makes hell, hell. There is no presence. There is no grace. There is no mercy. There is no hope. The things that flow from the presence of God are absent in hell. Now, let's ask a couple of questions here. Um, Oh, we, we got to hurry. Some, when we talk about the, the resurrection, going back to the Apostles' Creed, um, they would ask about soul sleep. Now, there are, there are some Christian denominations that believe in soul sleep. Um, they believe that when we die, we sleep. It's, it's literally like we go to sleep in the grave, and we will not be, our spirits will not be. Uh, awakened until the day of resurrection 
Um, and th one of the reasons they believe that is because the Bible uses the word sleep. Uh, but in, in the King James Bible and other translations, that was just a euphemism. That was a way of saying, you know, like Adam knew his wife. Well, we, we, we know that it wasn't that they got acquainted over a cup of coffee. We know what it meant, but it was a, it was a kind and decent way to say it. And when we talked about our loved ones sleeping, the Christian church never taught that they were asleep and unaware. It was, it was a comforting way to say they are at rest until the day of resurrection. But we know this, Paul said it twice. He said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I, I, I would probably need about 15 minutes to go into the reasons in further detail, but Corey's going to do this next week. Um, that's going to be my byword from now on. Corey's, Corey's going to handle this. Uh, you know I'm kidding. But... Um, um, the, the scripture, the scripture, our experience, the testimony—it all—it all leads us to this mystery, and it's called a mystery. But it's the mystery that our bodies go to the ground, but our spirits go to the Father. We're in His presence. You say, well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, do you believe Jesus was asleep for three days? Scripture indicates that wasn't the case, um, but but it was. But his body was in the grave, but his spirit was was active. Um, we believe right now that everybody that is heaven bound is in the presence of the Lord. Their spirit is in the presence of the Lord. But the day will come. When there will be a resurrection, the trumpet sounds, uh, you, can, you can call it rapture if you want to use that word, but there's a day of resurrection when the body and the spirit are united the way Jesus' body and spirit was united. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the scripture indicates that whatever form God is beyond our comprehension, whatever form spirit is, it's beyond our comprehension. But Jesus will be eternally existent in a resurrected body. We will be like Him. Now that doesn't lessen the Father, it doesn't lessen the Spirit, it doesn't lessen Jesus. But Jesus went the way to show us what our future is. Um, and it's going to be a resurrected body united with the soul, uh, or the Spirit I should say. Um, Oh boy, let's see. Um, what about universalism? There's a teaching that uh, surfaces every three or four hundred years, and it's no more true today than it was the last time it surfaced. Is the idea of universalism that you know scriptures like God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. In other words, I, I think what that means in essence is that it's not God's will for anybody to perish. But when we look at all the verses, we know some will. We know some will. But there's a teaching that says God has redeemed everything. Jesus did such a good job at redemption that every single person is going to go to heaven. The devil himself will be uh, redeemed. And it's called universalism. Um, I listened to a man one time years ago and, uh, you know, saying... Uh, to, to a group of people that gathered around. He said, you're all saved, you just don't know it. 
And I, I, had, I had witnessed to those guys regularly, and I've told them they're going to hell. And now here's this guy uh, telling them, you're all saved and you don't know it. And, you know, I wasn't about to get into an argument. I, I felt like I had planted enough in these guys. I wanted to see their reaction. And when the other guy left, one of them said, his news is a lot better than the news you've been giving me. He said, the problem is, I don't think it's true. He said, I'm going to hell, ain't I? And I said, unless you do something, I think so. And, um, uh, but, but that's the teaching of universalism. Now there's, um, I think universalism, there, you can be a Christian and believe in universalism, but I think you're profoundly wrong. Um, people that believe in universalism by the Orthodox Church, I don't mean the Orthodox denomination, I mean Orthodox Christians call that heresy. They call a person that believes in universalism a heretic. It's not a, well, some people see this, some people see the other. Um, we do not believe in universalism. Um, there are other Christians that say, well, we don't believe in universalism and we believe the soul that sins shall die. We believe there's a lake of fire, but there's a reason it's called the second death. And this view is called annihilationism. And what that means is that when you go to hell, it is the death of the spirit. It is the second death and you are annihilated to be remembered no more. Um, the, the horrible thing of hell according to the annihilationists. You guys still with me? Okay. This is a, it is Ash Wednesday. You're supposed to be a little somber here. Um, the, 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 thing, the thing about uh, <coughs> annihilationism is that you are, it is as though you never existed. Um, um, annihilationists say, no, that's what the second death is. And you say, well, you know, but Jesus says it'll, it'll never be quenched. It's like the fires of the, the garbage pit outside Jerusalem. And, and, and I, I, I understand that. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not an annihilationist. Um, but what annihilationists would say is that the fire burns forever and ever. What that means is it will not be quenched until it does its job. <coughs> um, and, and there are a lot of people that love the Lord. And can I tell you something? I want to believe in annihilationism. I want to believe that if someone goes to hell, they are annihilated. I, I do not go to sleep at night giggling because my enemies are going to a place where they will suffer forever and ever. And I want to tell you something. If that brings joy to you, you got some issues. Now, on the other hand, uh, I think it was Adrian Rogers used to say, we will be like him. And even if a loved one goes to hell, we will be like him. And we will consider that loved one in hell and say, that is the justice of God. It, it makes sense, but I'm just not sure I can comprehend the idea of rejoicing in someone I love, much less someone I, you know, I mean, my enemies, much less someone I love. Why do I want to rejoice? Uh, let me tell you this. This I know. God is just and God is right and God is everything that needs to be. And whatever hell is, he is right. And, and anytime I think I'm more merciful than God, it just means I don't understand something about his holiness or his nature. I'm not about to say, Lord, give him a break. You know, I, 
he is just, he's perfect in all of his ways. I just want the loss to be annihilated if they're going to hell, not tormented forever. But that also will cause you to lose your credentials in the assemblies of God. So it's not the position of our church. And, it's, and I'm not even saying I believe it. I'm just saying that there are good people that believe in annihilation. Okay, But um, if I can be frank with you, it's because my sense of justice is not as defined and refined as God's. And in this frail, mortal frame of mind, it's like, Lord, that's enough. You know, the other view says that uh, Jesus died on the cross and the reason he was, his time was limited on the cross. The, the theology of Christianity is that when Jesus was on the cross, he was in hell for all intents and purposes. He went to hell for us. And somebody says, well, that's only for a few hours. But this is the difference. He was God as well as man. So his suffering, though it was finite, was also infinite. The, the teaching, and, and guys, this will give you a headache. Run by rushes and get a Pepsi on your way home if you need to. But the teaching is that Jesus endured an eternity on hell, on the cross. The suffering that mankind, because we're finite, can never absorb. Jesus absorbed on the cross. And not only did He absorb it on the cross, but He absorbed it for every man, woman, boy, and girl who has ever lived or ever will live. It, it, you say, I can't get my head wrapped around that. Me neither. Me neither. Um, so Jesus suffered in a finite setting because He was infinite. He was capacity. You know, you say, what, what do you mean capacity? Bear with me, guys. This is good stuff. This will help you if you... If you'll, if you'll let it. Um, let's say, God forbid, that there's a family in the church, a husband and wife happily married, and they, let's say they have four children. The oldest is a teenager, you know, 18, about to leave home, go to college. The next child is, oh, say 12. And then you've got another child that's six, and you've got a newborn. Well, let's say that mama died, maybe giving birth to the newborn. Let's say that, that mom is taken away. Well, the capacity of that newborn child to grieve for mom is almost nil. The, 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 the awareness that that child has has not yet in, in embraced mama and daddy. You know what I'm saying? It's not that the child doesn't care. It's that the child's capacity for that kind of thing is so low. You say, I don't know, my baby loves me. Well, I know our babies love us. But what I'm saying, their capacity is less. I know none of our kids, uh, when they got hungry at night, none of them said, whoa, look at the clock. It's 2 o'clock. I'm going to let mom rest. She had a long day today. I'll just sit here and count my toes till breakfast time. No, when they're hungry, they're hungry. Their, their, their capacity is less than it will be later. Okay, so that little, that little two-year-old, I mean a two-day-old baby has almost no capacity. Now, that baby's life is going to be affected with mom being gone in ways that she can't understand. But her capacity is low. You go to the five-year-old, she, she doesn't understand the abstraction of death. 
She doesn't know what happened. She doesn't know that mama's not going to wake up, you know. Um, but that, that five-year-old is, has much more capacity than the two-day-old. And, and probably for the rest of the life, that child may even get to the point where she remembers only limited things about mom, but her life she'll always miss mom. Now the 12-year-old, that's a different animal. 12-year-old's a different animal because that 12-year-old is coming into the most important times of their life. And, and now mom, one of the most important shapers of, of life and destiny and future is taken out of the way. An incredible, incredible unfair burden is placed on dad who has to now be mom and dad. And that 12-year-old is going to have battles that the two younger ones can't even begin to comprehend. But you go to the 18-year-old, the 18-year-old sophisticated in, in his thinking. He understands life and death. He understands the tragedy of this. But he has a greater capacity not only to understand, but a greater capacity to cope. But you go to that husband. That husband has a greater capacity than any of the children. He has known his wife in a way that the children never know her. And never would know her. This is his soulmate. This is his partner. This is his, his best friend. And he knows that he can remarry. He knows that this isn't the end of his life. But he knows there's something taken out of his life that will never be put back and can never be fully replaced. Do you understand what I'm saying about capacity? Jesus, because he was God, had an infinite capacity. And I believe that Jesus on that cross... We cannot comprehend it because we're finite. He's infinite. But I believe Jesus endured the torments of hell for every one of us on the cross. And he did it not only for me, but he did it for you. And he did it not only for you, but for anyone who has ever existed. It, it boggles the mind. It boggles the mind. And that is the reasoning behind an eternal hell that will never end. Because we're finite creatures, we can never understand and pay for what we have done. So it's eternal and everlasting. Others say, no, it's, it's the second death. It's the second death. The name is taken out of the book of life. It is the annihilation of the soul. And Quite frankly, I hope that is what hell is. I hope that's what hell is. Not because I'm planning on going there. And I, now you've got to, I got to give you one more disclaimer. That doesn't mean that hell's not a big deal. Because the, to, the, the loss of existence, even though it may not be measured in unending years, the loss of existence is, the, is, is, a, is a loss that we cannot comprehend. It's a loss that we cannot comprehend. And um, the, the, even if annihilation is scriptural and we're taken out and, and, and are no more, the terror and the loss and the grief of that moment, whatever it is, that using black hole language, that event horizon is so horrible that it would be beyond our comprehension as well. 
It's not a, okay, God, shoot me and get it over with. That's not that at all. Well, now you're thoroughly depressed. So let's, let's go on and talk about how we should view death, okay? It's described as an eager longing, not for death, but for the next life. Romans 8, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. We are to live in eager expectation. We don't, want to, we don't run around wanting to die, but we are so convinced of the glory of the next life that we know, as Paul said, to live or die, I am the Lord's. Paul sounds a little morbid to us. He said, I've lived a long life and the time of my departure is drawing near. He said, I'm in a strait betwixt two. In other words, that's our way of saying I'm, you know, between a rock and a hard place. He said, I have a desire to go with the Lord, which to be with the Lord, which is far better. But he said, I also know if I stay with you, I can help you live the Christian life. He said, so I've come to the conclusion it's probably better for me to stay for you, but I want you to know if I had a vote, you know, I'm going to heaven. Most of us don't live in that kind of tension. Um, the Bible tells us in Romans 8, I, time won't permit me to read this, but you can read it later. The earth itself is in travail. The created earth that doesn't have a spirit is in travail. I read an article one time by a musician, and I, 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 I don't understand it enough because I'm not a musician. Um, to understand if everything that this person said was right. But he said the sounds of nature, the background sounds of nature, the backdrop sounds of nature are in minor keys. And he said it's, it's like the whole of nature is in mourning, in anticipation for something to change. Um, earth is, is in travail. Um, the, this letter H, the redemption of the body is core to Christianity. But as I said earlier, we tend to view it as a consolation prize for dying. Now let's talk a minute about the nature of redemption and the atonement. You have been taught this till it's running out your ears, but this is a good place to be reminded of it. Spirit redemption is immediate. My spirit, when I come to Jesus, my spirit is totally redeemed. There's nothing that awaits being done in my spirit. I, I am just as ready the first nanosecond after I ask Jesus in my heart. I'm just as ready for heaven at that moment as I am after I've walked with him for 75 years. Because that's immediate. We have already passed from death to life. Okay, soul redemption, that's our, that's our mind, our will, our emotions, our personality, is progressive this is the way Paul described it. We are transformed, he said in Romans, by the renewing of our mind. And what he, what he was saying is we are in a state of being transformed. We are in a state of being made more like Jesus. It doesn't mean that my salvation is in question. It just means we're growing. It's called sanctification. And physical redemption is anticipated. Um, we... we we, we, we know that God is able to heal and we chase healing and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But um, 
loved ones, we need to understand that healing in its fullness and its completeness is reserved for resurrection. That's not unbelief saying, well, do something, you got to die from something. No, that's not that at all. Um, you say, well, everybody Jesus touched, you know, he healed. Um, well, first of all, there's a couple of places we talked about Sunday where unbelief limited what he was able to do. But Jesus healed as Messiah. Jesus healed as Messiah. And we do have the gift of healing, but you've got to understand that healing is not an inherent right. Healing is a gift of the Spirit that operates under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And not, nobody shouts in that in an, in an Assembly of God church. Um, because we, we like to teach that healing is part of the atonement, the way salvation is part of the atonement. But loved ones, that's, and I do believe healing's part of the atonement, but not the way we've taught it. Um, healing is part of the atonement in that all sickness will ultimately be dealt with through the resurrection. Some healing, it takes place now by the miracle power of the Holy Spirit. Some now, some later. But I want to tell you, there's never been a time in 2,000 years of church history where everybody was healed every time we prayed. And it's not because of our lack of unbelief. Paul himself had his workers, some of whom suffered affliction. He said some have been sick to death almost. Um, Paul himself attributed his ministry to the Galatians of being sick and retreating to that area to try to get over his sickness. Now, guys, I, I understand this is offensive to our teaching from Word of Faith preachers and stuff like that. Is healing part of the atonement? Yes, in the sense that everything's going to be taken care of. But I don't believe that healing is the right of us to demand. Amen. And uh, we, 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 we make a fight over healing. And there's no way I can dig myself out of this hole either. <laughs> the last enemy is death. And I want us to get a grip on the resurrection. Okay, um, boy. I, I don't have time. I don't have time. Um, there's several pages of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me summarize this teaching. I was going to read it, but I just, uh, Corey can do this next week. Um, <laughs> here's the summary of 1 Corinthians 15. Our, this is, goes way on to letter B. I don't know what page is that on, Justin. Do you know? Page four, okay. Our hope of resurrection and heaven is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the reality of the resurrection, our faith is powerless and pointless. Um, there are some things that it's okay if we say, well, it might be this or it might be that. But resurrection is not one of them. Um, you, you remember uh, what... Um, Oh, in the People's Church in Toronto, Oswald Smith. Remember that day I told you about he, he stood up on Easter Sunday and started ripping pages out of the Bible. Um, he, he talked about uh, the importance of the resurrection. He said, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, this story doesn't matter. Jesus is not raised from the dead, this commandment doesn't matter. And people were, oh, oh my God, he's tearing book pages out of his Bible, throwing them on the floor. If Jesus is not resurrected, none of these stories matter. But he held up a tattered remaining Bible and he said this, 
But if Jesus is raised from the dead, then nothing but this matters. That's the importance of resurrection. It teaches us that we will be raised physically, not metaphorically, not just spiritually. And the day will come when our spirit will join our resurrected body. Um, and it's the time of the return of the Lord. Paul says, those who have gone by way of the grave, they won't be left behind. They will be resurrected and their, their bodies will be joined uh, with their spirit. And he said, those of us who are alive and remain will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And that Greek word is it's just, you just, it's hard to find anywhere. It's the picture of when you turn your eye and someone sees just a glisten, just for a, just for a quarter of a second, they see a twinkle in your eye. He says, that's how fast it'll be. And um, spirit and body will be united. Paul teaches us in Corinthians that the first Adam brought death and the last Adam, Christ, brings life. He teaches not directly from Corinthians, it's implied and he teaches directly in other passages that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. He teaches in Corinthians that our resurrected state will be glorious and our resurrected state is physical as was Christ's body. You say, well, pastor, if I go to heaven as an old person, will I be an old person? What about my baby that was stillborn? Is, is that... Is that baby going to have perpetual, be a baby perpetually in heaven? I, I, I don't think so. I'm, I mean, the Bible doesn't say. It does tell us that we will be known as we are known, you know. Uh, I know a lot of times people say, oh, I'm afraid I'll get to heaven and won't even know my children. Uh, loved ones, do you honestly think you'll know less in heaven than you do on earth? I don't think so. Um, I, I, I anticipate babies being in adult form. I anticipate the elderly being in a younger state of their life. I know that, um, and I know you can't base doctrine on dreams and visions, but I've had dreams and visions of loved ones that have gone on before. And uh, every one of them, to me, every single one of them looked like they were in the prime of their life. But I knew who they were. You say, well, you know, prime, that must mean 21 years old. Well, the older I get, 50 sounds like a good, a good prime age, you know. I don't know what prime is. But you got to understand this. Corruption and death and mortality will be gone. There's not going to be any aging. There's not going to be any sickness. There's not going to be any death. Um, it's physical as it was Christ's body. Now, Jesus is a good example. Jesus was not limited by physical things. He walked through a wall. He appeared and disappeared, but he was able to eat. Um, he, was, he was different enough that two of his disciples walked with him. The journey was about six miles. We don't know how long he was with them, but it was long enough for him to explain the Old Testament view of Messiah and for them to say, boy, didn't our heart burn while he was with us? Um, and it wasn't until after he left that they said, wait a minute, I know who that was. But remember the women that went to the tomb, she mistook him for the gardener. But when he spoke, she knew who he was. We'll know, we'll know, but it'll be without the limitations 
and without the corruption that we know now. Weakness will give way to power, Paul says. There will be no perishable, declining properties. This is what John adds to the discussion. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. This victory is through the Lord Jesus Christ. It happens at the resurrection or excuse me, the resurrection happens at the return of Christ. The mystery is declared. Restoration is complete. Those who have died are going to be raised. Those who remain will be changed. So what do we do with this? As we end the, the Apostles' Creed, what do we do? Justin, I've left you no time. My apologies. Um, how should we then live? Since you have been raised to new life with Christ... Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. That's how we live. He says in Hebrews, this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. The Christian life cannot be understood apart from yearning. Albert Moeller, uh, who wrote a book, I can't remember the name of it, on the Apostles' Creed. That's my favorite statement out of that entire book. He says, Christianity cannot be understood apart from yearning. Um, and and, in, and in, our, in our youth, we do everything we can to avoid thinking about death. Then in middle age, we do everything we can to put off death. But at some point, and, and, and this is not just the domain of, of old folks. It ought to be the do domain of all of us. And I will tell you this. Oh, I wish I had time to talk about this. In churches, in, in nations where the church is persecuted... There is an amazing understanding of heaven even in the hearts of the children. They understand, you know, they don't say I've got 80 years ahead of me and I want to I live that out. Their understanding is God says the average life is 70, maybe 80 if we're strong, but this world is not my home. And I, I've read accounts of, of some of the greatest, most heroic martyrs um, being children in these settings because they have been taught to understand that this is not the fulfillment. Yeah, yeah. That is. Oh, the Christian life cannot be understood apart from yearning. And here's the final thought. Um, this is my second favorite statement by Moeller. He said the Apostles' Creed, he's talking about how special it is. The Apostles' Creed has been used in liturgy to preserve eternal hope even in churches who have abandoned the faith. He gives the testimony of a young man that wasted his college years, wasted his 20s, but now in his 30s he's coming back to the Lord. And this is what he said. He said, I attended a church that demanded nothing of me. He said, that church abandoned faith and the gospel years ago, and I went there to soothe my conscience. 
He said, but it was a liturgical church and every Sunday we recited the Apostles' Creed. And every Sunday I was reminded that there's a truth that's not being preached. There's a reality that must be faced. And he said, now after, after wasting 20 years of my life, the Apostles' Creed has brought me back to the gospel and has restored my faith in Christ. Justin, come. I'm, again, my apologies for going over, but I'm about to go on a preaching fast on Wednesdays, so I'll take these, this extra minute and a half. You have your Wednesday prayer priority, those three points we've been praying today. <clears throat> you can pull that out and pray along with me. But Lord, we're just asking you tonight as a church, as we're learning about this foundational word of embracing you, Lord, we ask that you would help us to turn from any other God and fully turn to you. Father, if there's any other God in our lives, that has influenced power or causes fear in us, please help us to repent and ask you to help us. Lord, we pray for those around us who have turned to other gods, the gods of this world, power, money, fame, intellect, and influence. Lord, open their eyes. Help them to shake off the deception of the enemy. Bring freedom to those willing to embrace you completely. And Lord, we ask you to teach us as a church to embrace your presence and give you the first place you deserve in our lives, our families, and our ministries. Thank you for Revelation 2, 4, and 5, where you talk very bluntly with the church, and you say, yet I hold against this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Father, that's the heart that we want. We want to turn away from anything that would keep us from loving you first and the most. And Father, when we can head toward that direction, when we can get on that path, we know that we'll be pleasing your heart and we'll know we're going in the right direction. And other gods and other temptations and distractions of this world will not have a grip or a hold on us. So Lord, that's what we're after. Now Father, if there's anyone here tonight that does not know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, the one who forgives their sins and gives them eternal life, Lord, I pray that you'd give them the courage to come and see me or one of the pastors or to talk to the friend that maybe they're sitting on the row with and just ask them, how do I, how do I come to know Jesus as forgiver of my sins? Father, I thank you that tonight is the best time they can take to say yes to you because hell is real and heaven is also real and we want to make the right choice tonight. Father, go with us. Give us safety as we travel home. Be with us. Be with our children. Lord, thank you for a church that teaches and preaches the Word of God. And thank you for an opportunity to pray for ourselves and for our city. Lord, as you help us to turn outward over these next 40 days as we seek you for this city. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Be dismissed. We love you. We'll see you Sunday, Lord willing. Have a great rest of your week.